Hey, everybody. I'm Tyler Suters with the Consumer Technology Association. We are the owners and the producers of CES, the world's largest, most influential tech event. And we are here to help you get CES ready. This year's show is January 7th through the 10th in Las Vegas. And today we are tackling the topic of esports. And granted, this can be a bit hard to get your arms around. One, because the topic's a bit amorphous. And two, because it's growing so exponentially quickly. CES is a place where you can get insight regarding the experience of live esport tournaments, the tech that's powering these kind of experiences. Also, how industry experts, the people who are involved with this day in and day out, see the esports category evolving. And of course, how this technology is engaging fans across the globe. Today, a conversation with two companies. First of all, Logitech. This is a Swiss company that has been around for decades and bills itself as beginning in the category of innovative computer peripherals, but now a very firm emphasis on gaming and the larger gaming community. Also, we are talking with an experiential advertising agency and the factors that are driving this remarkable growth in esports all around the world. That's this edition of CES Tech Talk. Joining us now is Tatiana Taka with Momentum Worldwide. She is the director of esports there and, I should point out, a gamer herself. Tatiana, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. You have quite a varied background in the gaming sector and quite a lot of experience as well. Um, can you give a current state of play? Where are things right now for gamers in gaming with a capital G? <laughs> well, you have... Um, gaming is grown significantly. It's been getting the attention of brands, of investors. It's And really at the heart of that is esports, the competitive uh, segment of gaming where there are professional leagues, teams, pro players, broadcasts. Huge audience, right? It's, Viewership. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, it. a lot of people like to refer to it as the Wild West, but <laughs> I would definitely say it's not the Wild West anymore. Um, a lot of the leagues and the way the teams are being run are much more closer to traditional sports. Mm -hmm. Traditional sports um, teams and investors have uh, really put a lot of money into this space. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that leagues are being run, there, there are a lot, many of which are being formed like franchises with um, significant um, live events. Mm -hmm. So what's pretty exciting there is, um, yes, it's growing, but also the quality of the opportunity for brands to mm -hmm. get in and um, you know partner in the space is becoming a lot more um, tangible and really exciting. Yeah, well said. The, the quality of... Um the companies that are involved, but also some of the owners, right? And the associations with, when I say professional leagues, I mean like, you know, the big three or four sports leagues, that there are you know, a strong brand association with existing sports franchises. Absolutely. Um, where have you navigated through this industry? I mean, there's a, a long list of the companies you've worked for, but if you would, Tatiana, take us through your path a bit. Uh, in the gaming sector, because as, as I'm sure as you've evolved as a professional, as an expert on esports, you know, the sector has evolved around you pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So I got into gaming, um, I've been in the space for about nine or ten years or so, and really got in um, when mobile gaming really started to 
um, explode. So shortly after the first Angry Birds launch, but I was before... About, I was about to ask what the gateway drug is, yeah. but yeah, Angry but Birds. But before yeah. the iPhone 4, um, <laughs> I actually uh, started in mobile gaming. One of the first companies I worked for was a location-based augmented reality game. Mm -hmm. That might sound familiar because that's Pokemon Go. But years before the market and the technology was quite ready for it. Um, and yeah, I've, I've worked with, uh, with multiple licenses from the NBA to Marvel to Disney and Pixar, Fox, um, Lucasfilm and more. And really, um, I transitioned into esports over a number of years. Uh, because mobile gaming started to become less of a story about marketing strategies and and uh, you know really strong brand game releases mm -hmm. and a little bit more about user acquisition, which just candidly isn't as fun. Um, <laughs> That's a professional assessment. Yeah. Okay. but um, as as uh, as you know, as esports started to kind of solidify as a as a tangible opportunity. Um, what was what's particularly exciting about it is it really tends to solve for all of the problems that mobile gaming was having. It's, mm. it's a much smaller but more active, passionate audience. It's a more um, it's a more valuable audience, high spending, um, younger millennial, you know, eighteen to you know, core eighteen to thirty five. Right. Um, you know, whereas with mobile gaming, there's a lot of like, hey, let's what kind of like psychological influences can we kind of help to like, in, you know, encourage spending. Yeah. There's no issues getting esports fans to spend dollars, um, to well, wait sure. in line and, and kind of pursue those passion points. Yeah, the level of engagement, I think, is just so much deeper, right? If you're talking about mobile gaming, um, I'm just pulling an anecdote out of thin air, but it could be someone on the subway, you know, coming home from work, uh, dealing with Candy Crush, right? Yeah. Or whatever. Whereas with, with esports, you're in it. I mean, you're devoting time in it, and it's your focus. Absolutely. Uh, mobile gaming, by nature, is a lot of, you know, the and, and Fortnite kind of um, uh, defied this general <laughs> rule, but in, yeah, in mobile yeah. gaming, for instance, we would generally see that uh, games that had um, kind of an average spend time spent of, you know, two to three minutes tended to do really well because it was a little bit more of a lower commitment that could be easily repeated. Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, esports, you're looking at, you know, average esports fans spending, you know, 15 plus hours on average per week, mm -hmm. either watching streams or playing. It's, it's a completely different type of market. So mm -hmm. also when I help brands kind of um, with their strategy, how to approach gaming, it's really important to understand those nuances of, you know, yes, gaming as a whole is... Um, is, you know, three to 80 male, female, it's literally, you know, totally global. It's literally like everyone. Um, but as you start to, uh, as you start to kind of dive into those nuances, mm -hmm. that's really key to understand. And as you're getting into esports, understanding nuances between titles and communities even further is incredibly mm. important. You know, you see a lot of stats like, here's the typical esports fan profile. And while there are similarities, let's say, between a League of Legends fan and mm. a CSGO fan, there are a lot of differences in in uh, its male-female splits and, uh, you know, preferences and the, you know, communication and, and 
you know, tactics and all of those things you really want to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there definitely are nuances that brands should take in mind when they're thinking about these, uh, you know, these more customized approaches. Yeah, so a great point with that. Um, what is the biggest impact on the growth? And I think you hinted at it earlier in that um, there's strong brand association. Um, there's a lot of, for lack of a better term, credible money going into it. Um, there's also the, the marketer's dream of knowing your audience especially well and knowing really well how to reach them. Uh, what has been the driver, the biggest, I don't know if you can say a moment in time or uh, an innovation, but what has really driven the growth? Overall, I've been pretty excited to see how quickly properties can move and follow trends in esports. So, mm-hmm. you know, when um, when we're looking at publishers and, and tournament organizers, for instance, they have very strong built strategies towards esports. And every the thing that I'm always looking for is what are properties doing to continue to evolve the conversation. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I think, you know, Riot Games with League of Legends in particular has been um, a total pioneer with, um, you know, how they run regular season as well as live events, how they're doing, you know, regional approaches with a, with a culmination world's events and the production qualities that they're applying to that year over year is phenomenal. The stuff that they did last year with the K-pop band, what they're going to end up doing <laughs> this year with in, in Paris, like they continue to evolve. And I think that's um, been key to growth. And then there's a, at, at the same time, publishers and tournament organizers are pushing themselves, you know, League of Legends, uh, sorry, with uh, with Overwatch League coming in and having local based franchised, you know, um, teams. Yeah. And uh, and really mirroring it closer to traditional sports has really helped um, you know other tournament organizers kind of take a look at that and, and apply similar models mm-hmm. and uh, and that type of growth that type of um, organization only makes it more helpful for brands to come in for sponsorships to be developed mm-hmm. and you know they're looking at. They're looking at the white space. Um, we talk. I talk a lot about how experiential is a really big white space in esports. Yeah, delve into that if you would, Tony. That's you know, interesting. For instance, um, when you when you look at like regular season matches and uh, qualifiers, a lot of that is held in smaller studios or online with these um, culminating major finals, and mm-hmm. these you know these occur. Um, you know, in multiple multiple times throughout the year, um, but there are really these major moments for fans to really kind of travel um, and experience their IP and the sport esport mm-hmm. that they love. Um, you know, hands on, and yeah. so what we're seeing is that there's a, about a seventy percent um, plus of many of these events um, have people traveling to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the engagement and the atmosphere and the attention on the on the stage content is really phenomenal. When mm-hmm. I take when I host people and, and you know take them to see their first esports event, I always recommend don't look at uh, don't look at the content for a while because <laughs> you might not understand the content. Uh-huh. Look at people watching the content because it's really sure, it's it's sure. incredibly entertaining to see how no one has their phone out. And <laughs> and when you when you especially when you bring a marketer there, that's one of the first things they'll note. No one has their phone out. That's it's, a great point. Yeah, if you look at the I think of the the 
the professional pictures taken at events like that when someone's covering it uh, media-wise. And it's not just the pictures of the players in action. Like if you go to a basketball game, it's all about the players. Often the media members will, will have those cameras turned away from the action, so to speak, and get the, the faces, the expressions, right? The excitement of those in attendance. Absolutely. And, um, you know, but what we are seeing is, you know, despite that, despite this hyper passionate audience, a lot of brands are focusing their dollars more on broadcast and, and uh, media and things like that because there's a lot of scale there. But overall, um, I would definitely argue that that's a really big white space. And mm -hmm. so looping back and saying, you know, what are publishers doing and how are they reacting to trends? Mm -hmm. We're seeing a, we're seeing them literally create more opportunities for brands to do live activation. Um, mm -hmm. This year alone, uh, League of Legends in their European League had a fan fest for their spring split. Uh, the day before the actual competition. They did the same then for their summer split in North America. Uh, Overwatch League had a fan fest um, many hours the day before, um, the, uh, sorry, the, the hours before the uh, Overwatch right, finals. Right, right. Um, and those really offer very strong opportunities to actually allow for brands to add value to the scene, mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. what, um, which is a core of what I'm always recommending to brands. Hmm add value to the scene and showcase to audiences how you're legitimizing and supporting directly their passion points. Because mm -hmm. we are seeing that esports fans, 70% of our own data show that 70% of esports fans believe that uh, sponsorships is good for the gaming industry. Mm -hmm. um, but they want to see brands step up. They want to see them, um, you know, act really like add, add tangible value. And um, so I'm always looking at what are ways to take what esports is doing and then elevate it to, yeah. you know, take it to a next level. What's something that only this brand can do. So using that as a jumping off point, uh, you know, I mentioned the faces of gamers or those in attendance, meaning literally, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, broadening that out and, and as you talk about the growth, the excitement, um, the opportunity, um, where is the gaming sector going as far as inclusiveness? Diversity. I mean, this if to be a, a, a major sport or even major brand today, it's a consideration you have to make. Absolutely. Um, what's the state of play today, and, and and how quickly can we get to a place where 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 perhaps the industry needs to be? If that's a fair way to put it. Yeah. Well, I, I generally find that, you know, if you think about esports from its more its widest perspective, which mm -hmm. is you know playing at home, playing esports titles at home, watching live on on Twitch, there's a there's a significant level of accessibility there. Um, you know, a lot of the esports titles are free. Twitch content is free. So, you know, when when considering that, there's um, there is a certain level of accessibility to play at the highest level. It does require more expensive gear, um, but you know, there's a there's you know that that core content is readily available um, to you know to folks who want to engage, which which is great. You know, as it relates to the female gamer uh, story, there's been a lot of talk about that. How can more uh, female pro players break through? Um, you know, is there an esports audience for women? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this is something that we actually, uh, as Momentum, did some bespoke research on. And what we found is that 11 million women um, in the U.S. watched a Twitch stream this year. 
we found that they are, you know, similar. There's esports fans who are women are spending, similar to men, about 15 hours a week watching and playing online. So very so, similar investments time-wise, bandwidth-wise. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and there is scale there. You know, we find that the esports audience is roughly about 70% males. That's a really important 30%. And 62% uh, of the women that we had surveyed said that brands do not market to them. They're, you know, overall being hmm. overlooked, ignored. Um, many state, you know, that when merchandise is being made, for instance, that it's being made for male and uh, for kids, but mm -hmm. not uh, not women. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say overall, that's a huge white space. There's definitely a great opportunity there. Um, I, I would say that certain teams are taking them taking that into consideration. Um, but overall, yeah, I would definitely highlight that as a really big white space. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm excited for the opportunity to see more you know, women break through at the pro level. Um, it's it's not like there's a lot of like societal and cultural reasons why things like that aren't occurring right now. Mm -hmm. But I think as you know, esports grows over time, you will see more um, pro women break mm -hmm. through that level. I feel like we're just scratching the surface on this discussion, Tatiana. Oh, definitely. Let's hold it for now because I want to check back in, let's say a year, and find out how much progress you've made. Okay. and where things are going. Tatiana Taka is Director of Esports at Momentum Worldwide. Fascinating conversation and I think it's fair to say infectious enthusiasm. Tatiana, great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. With us now from Logitech is Amanda Sanyal. She is Director of Digital Marketing and a gamer herself. Amanda, it's great to have you with us today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's begin with a bit of a broad dive, if we could. What is your take on the esports industry today as we know it, knowing it is evolving rapidly? But if we could take a moment of, in time here uh, at the end of 2019. Yeah, I think uh, rapid is a great word to sort of describe it overall. It is growing rapidly. Um, and I think that it is really interesting area to watch. Um, you know, from a revenue perspective, it's expected to be over $1.65 by 2021, which is a huge number. Um, and then between, you know, players and fans, there's over 400 million people who are sort of actively involved in esports in 2019. So it's a really interesting space to watch and is rapidly growing and evolving. So let's take it a little further down the road then. Five years, 10 mm -hmm. years, what is the, I don't know if it's the growth curve that you want to address, Amanda, but maybe it's just a sketch of what the what the industry and the ecosystem looks like uh, over the next decade or so. So we definitely expect esports to continue growing. I think if you look at all the research, it points to that. Um, and I think one of the most interesting things that we've seen happening are, um, you know, more traditional non-gaming brands and organizations getting involved. Um, so from Nike to Coca-Cola, tons of people have already invested. Um, and then I think we're also seeing some interesting things like um, traditional sports teams coming in and fielding esports teams as well. Uh, so drive down that road a little bit, if you would. The traditional sports teams, mm -hmm. how is that relationship evolving? And and what do you think is the impetus of, of, of how it started, how that interest crosses over from a what seems to be a high-powered franchise in one of the big three or four sports to getting into something that is growing so fast but is, is still not on on that commercial scale, perhaps, uh, an awareness scale with, with various demographics here in the U.S.? 
You know, I think it really happened very organically. These teams are traveling so much. Um, gaming is something that a lot of the players do in their downtime. Um, and that sort of personal interest that, that of course, the, the organization leaders can see um, combined with this sort of emergence of, you know, esports stadiums and competitions and seeing, you know, super high viewership across all of those things sort of led people down this path. So I think it was a, it was a combination of, of really organic growth within the organizations themselves. So what has been the biggest area of impact, Amanda, in your mind? Is it the uh, in-person crowds that are showing up, the development of arenas, the actual infrastructure, uh, the online audience that seems to be growing exponentially year after year? I, I, the list can go on. I'd also add you know, the, the commercial yeah. interest in this. But, but what do you see are, are the major areas of impact? You know, I think everything you said, 100%, there's, there's so much there to uncover. I think um, for me, you know, some of the time, and these are maybe anecdotal, but the biggest impact, I think, um, especially because, you know, we were just talking about investment from traditional sports teams and, and those sorts of things. But I think esports is something that people heard a lot about before they actually experienced it themselves. And so I do think that those in-person events and coming together and just seeing the excitement from the crowd that really does rival what you would get from traditional esport or traditional sporting events, and in many cases exceeds it. Um, I think that that is a real aha moment for people when they think, "Oh yeah, like like this is a real thing," um, you know. And then I think the other thing that that gained a lot of attention from traditional, more traditional industries was um, the Fortnite competition this summer and the prize pr- pools there. Um, when you start talking about money like that, I think people tend to pay attention. Is Fortnite maybe the best example of a crossover between gaming culture and, and pop culture? Um, I think that I would lend that title to streamers overall. You know, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. um, these the the people that are streaming all of these games really sort of cross a, a border between pop culture and professional esports players. Um, because in, they, are, they are professionals. They are making their living this way, um, but they're doing it just by playing a game they love and making content that, that people really want to see. Um, so I think that's, that's where the true crossover happens. Sure, and driven, driven deeply by the passion of, uh, of gamers, too. Mm-hmm. Um, let's yep, absolutely. narrow this down a bit, Amanda, into a single sector, although it's a broad one. Uh, e-racing, is that a, yep. <laughs> hate to use this term, but a driver of esports overall, what has its role <laughs> been in in the growth of of the overall sector and how it moves forward? You know, it, it is so interesting, and I think that sim racing definitely has the potential to be one of the biggest esports in the world. Um, esports is already really integral um, part of the traditional racing community. A lot of of you know real world racers get their start playing sim games. Um, and it's becoming this real on-ramp for aspiring racers to get discovered because they can go and stream and get people to notice them while they're playing and racing. Um, you know, viewership, it's, it's smaller than the numbers we talked about before, but, you know, 5.5 million viewers in the last year. Um, and we're seeing big-name brands like McLaren and Porsche and NASCAR um, getting involved in, in the game today. Uh, Logitech G does have some a personal stake in the sim racing world. You know, we have... a uh, a challenge that we have called the Logitech G challenge. And it takes, you know, from finals all across the world to find the best driver in each region and brings them together at a grand finals. It's going to coming up November 16th in Las Vegas. Um, and everybody's going to race and stream it live together. 
And then the winner goes on to compete in the McLaren Project Shadow where, and has a chance to, to race for McLaren. <laughs> Let that sink in for a moment. Your chance to race for McLaren. Um, we talked uh, within the last few weeks to um, a member of the F1 team, right? This global sport with exotic locations on virtually every continent there is. Uh, and one of the points that, that the F1 circuit was making um, is that that is such a tech-centric sport uh, and maybe the most tech-centric uh automobile application within larger racing. Um, is the appeal of technology part of what's driving interest in any racing? And, and the point that you just made, Amanda, in that racing at home, uh, online or streaming, uh, however you want to phrase it, is maybe is, you know, is much closer to the real thing than, say, uh, playing football online or, or, or Fortnite or anything that's much more violent and yeah. dangerous. Well, and you definitely learn the skills needed for certain tracks and you can learn about different, you know, how they all perform um, just through sim racing. And I think I think the, the thing about sim is that it is a, a real democratizer of, of racing in general. Um, so it, to, to become a traditional racer um, following maybe a historically traditional path, would take a lot of money and it would take a lot of resources and energy to put behind it. But a lot of people can, can learn very quickly on the technology they have at home, a lot of lessons that translate into real world racing. And that's where we see um, the real opportunity for, for just people who love to race to get that start. So democratization is one term to use. I think uh, inclusiveness might be another. Um, a previous conversation we had uh, here on the podcast was with the founder of Sugar Gamers, uh, talking about diversity and inclusion within esports. Um, what's your perspective on uh, Amanda on the rise in female gamers as yourself, a female gamer, and, and and what sort of communities are out there for them? Yeah, so I think this is this is another area where it is um, esports in general is really fantastic because it does sort of level that playing field. The the differences in physicality and um, you know, just size are really eliminated when you're in this um, esports world. Mm-hmm. I think you know, on the topic of just the rise of female gamers, I think I think um, it's a little bit of a misnomer. So women have been in gaming for a very long time, um, and I think just now as the sport is getting more um, attention, um, the the women playing it are getting more attention, and I think it is you know in part at least because of that that unique difference that that e-sports has over traditional sports. Um, and so I think like women have been in gaming forever. And so what's really changed is the way that they're being recognized and supported across the industry. Uh, you mentioned the global nature of, of, of gaming, Amanda. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the potential role or the immediate role in 2020 uh, of e-sports at the Olympics, the ultimate international platform for sporting? Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of discussion of it and I think a lot of interest in it. Um, I think it's it's very relevant for the Olympic committees to to always think about new sports and how they might fit into the organization um, that we can help driving meaningful conversation around competition. Um, How would you see that? And this is purely speculative. I will give that to you. But (laughs) how would you see... Uh, esports taking shape at the Olympics? Is it, you know, do you have to pick a single game 
or is it a suite, a medley, kind of like a you know an esports decathlon? What? And this is this is totally uh, you know <laughs> your view, Amanda. I want to qualify it properly, but but as a gamer and as yeah, as a professional absolutely. in this sector, what what would you like to say? Uh, I think I would go more for the medley, uh, and again, totally speculative and just dreamy dreams here. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of different skills that come across different games. And so having people compete between them is, is, would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, looking ahead now to CES 2020, you are a CES veteran. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been to a, a number of shows um, with years on and years off. Um, what's the evolution you've seen of gaming there and, and the growth and, and maybe the, the corporate diversity, perhaps is the right way to put it, um, of the gaming ecosystem? at CES? Yeah, I think, you know, every year at CES, there's something new that is the story that comes out of CES, right? It is a great show for for driving that kind of new cycle. And I think that gaming over time, you know, the, the way it has been at CES is a reflection of the way it is in the world, right? So as, as gaming as an industry grows, as things like esports gain more traction, I think we see more and more presence there at the show and more and more relevancy for the CES audience there. And where we'll be in, let's say, 20 years with gaming more immersive, uh, certainly less latency, right, with the development of 5G. And and (laughs) I guess it's fair for looking that far out to say 6G beyond that. Um, How immersive do we get? (laughs) How how boundless does gaming become uh, with the decades ahead? Yeah, you know, 20 years out, I I have no... um no crystal ball or belief uh, because I am continually surprised by the things that come up in gaming mm-hmm. that um, capture people's attention. Um, so I think absolutely, definitely the trends are headed towards more immersive, um, you know, around VR um, and sort of integrating those things in. Um, but I also think this community aspect and how gaming is really something that can bring people together, you know, if we're talking global again, mm-hmm. uh, they can bring people together across wide geographies, um, make fast and deep friendships um, worldwide. Um, and that it's one of the most beautiful things that I think overall in gaming is when you see teams come together and they compete online regularly and they, they are talking to each other every week, but they've never actually met or never actually seen one another. Mm. Um, and they come together at these events um, and, and get a chance to meet in real life. And it's a really, um, it's a really just lovely thing to witness when it happens. And so I think what I am most excited about gaming as we move forward is something that has always been a part of the industry. And that is really that ability to forge friendships um, and to forge um, just a, a broader gaming community um, for that, that anyone can participate in. Amanda Senyal is the Director of Digital Marketing at Logitech, a key player in the gaming industry. Amanda, a great conversation. Thank you. Let's, let's pick it up again at CES in a little while. That sounds good. Thanks so much. All right. Coming up next time on CES Tech Talk, the issue of robotics, one of the most exciting areas of CES. It is transforming industries from healthcare to mobility and areas that we might take on every day like our household duties, uh, retail experiences, even education itself. That's all coming up next time on CES Tech Talk. As always, we want to help you be CES ready, so subscribe to this CES Tech Talk podcast. We're on all the major platforms. That way you won't miss any episodes leading up to CES 2020. Speaking of the big show, the dates are January 7th, 
through the 10th in Las Vegas. The information you need is at ces.tech. That is ces.tech. None of this would be remotely possible without the true stars of CES Tech Talk, executive producer Tina Anthony, and our senior studio engineer, John Lindsay. Y'all are the very best in the business. I'm Tyler Suters. Let's talk tech again soon.